Kyle doing today? Hey, everybody. Hey, I'm well. I thought you were asking the listeners. It's, I did too at first, well. and then I was like, maybe. And then I realized you're talking to us. Yeah. I don't think that any listener is going to answer me, and yeah. if they do, I certainly can't. We can hear. make this like an interactive. Yeah, podcast. it's like Mr. Rogers. Yeah, I'm yeah. feeding the fish now. Can you guess what happened with the alien next? Yes, you guys. Welcome to the 13th Floor <laughs> Podcast, where we talk about all things strange. And if you listened last week, you already know. If not, welcome to the podcast. We're happy to have you. But today, we are talking about aliens. Again. Again. In uh, in honor of the Storm Area 51 Yay. event that is supposed to happen tomorrow, if you're listening when this episode is released on Thursday, September 19th, yeah. tomorrow is supposed to be the Storm Area 51 event, which isn't going to happen. I think they've turned it into no, a festival. It's going to mm-hmm. happen. Alex? Yeah. If Alex? the right people back it, it'll happen. Yeah. Now, will it be a massacre right at the end of the day? Who knows? But will it be worth it is the real question. It'll no. be a massacre. <laughs> you guys, stay as far away just, from Area 51 as you can. It just takes one person to get out of there with an alien and we're all set. Yeah. Listen, if you're going to listen to our stories today, you might already just you might just believe in aliens by the end of this episode. Yeah. And then you don't need to storm Area 51. Oh, yeah. But, but maybe you do because you need no. physical proof. <sighs> <laughs> I really want them to storm. I do not want anyone to storm Area 51. You guys, stay as far away from Area 51 as you can because the U.S. government, they mean business. Yep. How funny will it be if this becomes like an annual festival, the Area 51 festival? If it'll it be, becomes be, an be, annual festival. It'll be like Burning Man, but for aliens. Oh, or maybe man. Burning Man's already for aliens. I bet, yeah, I think Burning <laughs> Man's already for aliens. And I mean, a lot of the alien encounter stories that I looked into while I was trying to research for this, they say that aliens already live on Earth, which I totally believe. Do you? <laughs> you think we got more like a Men in Black scenario going oh, yeah, on Oh, yeah, Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. People just like, Will Smith just walks around flashing us in the face. (laughs) (laughs) What? Nothing. Uh, Do you have an icebreaker for us? Oh, by the way, I'm Cece. Oh, I'm Alex. I'm James. (laughs) Yeah. And as you know already, it's 13th Floor Podcast. If you, you guys, I just want to get this out here right now because I don't want to say it at the end because I always, well, I don't forget, but like I almost forget. If you don't follow us on social media, do so. We've got a Twitter at 13th Floor Pod. We also have an Instagram at 13th Floor Podcast. And also rate, review, and subscribe if you like this podcast. All you have to do is click five stars. Yes, five stars. Wink, wink. And <laughs> we'll be good to go. Uh, Alex, do you have an icebreaker for us? I'm just impressed by your hosting game. You stepped it up a notch this week. Thank you. I just got off a. Uh, customer tutorial for work so i think i'm kind of in presentation mode oh it's working yeah. for you it was a great tutorial by the way it, <laughs> it looks good it looks good on you alex what's our, what's our icebreaker come okay. on let's do this okay. uh all right the icebreaker is oh man okay well i don't like celebrities so we're not going to do anything about celebrities james <laughs> yeah you go ahead and go. Okay. <laughs> Alex is asking you for the icebreaker. Oh, I see. He's passed the duty off to okay. you. I was gonna do, I was gonna do another one, but I'm like, I, I don't like celebrities. I got, I got a more relevant one. So sorry, I'm not trying to hijack it, but I, you made, you made me, you put me on the spot, and I thought of something. <laughs> All right. Okay. W- what is your question? Okay. Here- what is the question, James? Okay. 
Here's my question. If you were the first person to make contact with aliens, like you, you know, they, they're like sending out their ambassadors and they want you to describe humanity to them, what would you tell them? Oh my gosh, James. Mm-hmm. Uh... I can tell you what I would do. I would describe us as a peaceful, loving people. <laughs> that way, if that's what they're looking for, they were golden. And then if they think they can take advantage of that, then they're going to be sorely mistaken. Uh. Right? So, you know, I guess the best thing to do is lie. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> um, I think that I would, that my answer, I've already said my answer. They would ask me, and I would just, uh, that would be it. Uh. I don't know. I would, you know, I'd say we're people. We like food. Hmm. Uh, most people like food. We live on Earth. Man, you put these aliens to sleep real quick. Listen, I'm much better. I'm much better at customer tutorials than I am at describing humanity mm-hmm. to aliens. I got you. I'm praying to God I'm never put in that situation because aliens terrify me. Yeah. And I'm probably going to have another bad dream tonight based upon a video that I watched on YouTube. Uh, well, just James, what would you say? I know. Listen, listen, you guys. James wouldn't tell the truth. I'll tell you that much. No, listen. James is. Are we going to guess what James so is going to So perfect at describing things to people. He would probably come up with the best response on the fly. Oh, man. Now you're really setting it up for me. Dang. Yeah, there it is. All right. Now, Big boots CC, to Is James going to tell the truth or lie? James is going to. He's going to tell the truth. No, he's going <laughs> to lie. Wow. <laughs> now you guys are taking bets. Um, <laughs> I would say that, you know, I mean, it, it's hard to compare us to something that I, I haven't met yet. But if I had to guess, I'd say that we're a very individualist species and uh, that uh, our, our pursuit for perfection uh, often intervenes with our own personal happiness. And so I'd say that we're a, we're simultaneously individualist and perfectionist. That's, that's the two traits that I think we would have, they would probably be lacking. Listen, Mm. James, I don't know about you, but this one sitting next to me is definitely not a perfectionist. (laughs) No, and so I called it. He lied to him. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, that was a that was a fun little icebreaker, James. I'm glad that you thought of that up on the fly. Thank you. I'm glad that Alex's (laughs) icebreaker game has been. I was going to ask you all, and then Alex meets them, and they nuke us for being duplicitous. (laughs) Yes. 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 All right, you guys. Are you guys ready to talk about aliens? About more, more about aliens? More about aliens? Yeah. Okay. Um, Can do. So, you guys, listeners, we've done one episode of this already where we talked about some specific alien encounters. Again, to honor the Storm Area 51 frenzy that has been all across the interwebs lately. We're going to talk about some more specific alien encounters. And we did talk about Area 51, if you all missed that one. We did. We have an episode on Area 51. Did you see that? Uh, I thought I caught it out of the corner of my eye, but... James, are you there? Can you hear me? I'm I'm here. What's up? That was really weird. All of a sudden, the little timer stopped. Oh. The the audio stopped moving. You guys, what if Freaky. an alien just hijacked us for a second? Oh, gonna be really That's fun. probably it. Oh, okay. Um, again, we're talking about alien encounters. James, Sir James is going to start us off. Yeah. James, tell yep. us about aliens. Yeah, I've, I've got a couple of topics I wanted to cover, but uh, I think I'm going to start off with the most domestic case that really hits close to home. And that would be the, uh, the Kelly Hopkinsville encounter, a.k.a., this is my favorite, the Hopkinsville Goblins case. And 
it, it took place in Hopkinsville, Hopkinsville in Christian County, Kentucky. And uh, it's probably the most documented case of a third kind encounter. And it's also probably the funniest. It's just, it's completely out there. It's, it's absolutely crazy. And yet it's very documented. It's, it's much more surreal than all those stories about people being abducted by greys. For starters, there is an artist's um, impression based on the descriptions they gave. And if I saw that thing in a video game, I'd be like, come on, guys. <laughs> Give me something more realistic than that. It, it looks like a, a literal troll made from aluminum foil. Yeah. Uh, it's amazing. Um, <laughs> it's so goofy here, looking for sure. Exactly. So here's what happened. It, this this took place in 1955, um, August 21st. So uh, about a month ago, and 55 years, or however long, 65 years. <laughs> anyway, um, by the, again, just in terms of the household number, I mean, because we're going to get into some Joe Dirt territory, not to be too stereotypical. Uh, five adults and seven children, and they showed up at a police station, and they said that little goblins had landed in a spaceship in front of their farmhouse and had been holding them off with gunfire for four hours. Okay, mm. now, right off the bat, again, I love Kentucky, but we, <laughs> our name game, our name game is just, we're, we have these hobbit names that are like real, okay, so the, the two big adults in this story are Elmer Sutton and Billy Ray Taylor, which just, it Ooh. sounds like they could be like a bluegrass duo. Wow. It Here's sounds Elmer like Sutton my neighbors and Billy Ray Taylor. from <laughs> my childhood. Oh, man. And uh, so those two... That, that's interesting in and of itself, but there, there's there's more people. You've got Glennie Lankford, Lonnie, Charlton, and Mary, her children, two sons from a previous marriage, Elmer, not to be confused with the previous Elmer Sutton. No, this is his son, oh Elmer God. Lucky Sutton, and John Charlie J.C. Sutton. <laughs> wow. And their wives, Vera, Aline, and Aline's brother, O.P. Baker, and Billy Ray Taylor. Oh, wait, did I already say Billy Ray Taylor? Yeah, I already said Billy Ray Taylor. Oh, his wife, June. <laughs> That's it, right. You know, it's funny that you, like, name off all these people because having grown up in Kentucky, there are so many situations where you go out in public and it's like you start talking to somebody and then they name off literally every single one of their cousins. Yeah, exactly. I feel like I'm back home. Yeah, exactly. And this is my favorite thing about it. <laughs> Lucky and Vera, uh, they were married. They were carnies, and they were visiting the farmhouse. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I love that. I love it, man. Oh, man. So here's what happened. Um, and also, incidentally, um, th- those families left the next day because they were. They, it was just too much creepy stuff for them. Bear in mind, these are carnies. So they've seen some creepy stuff. And this, this was just so creepy that they were like, no, no, we are out of town. We are out of the area. Bye. Maybe we'll never see you again because it was so scary. So here's what happened. They're all hanging out at the farmhouse and uh, they see something land, something, you know, bright lights, etc. And uh, that alone would be distressing. But then coming out from uh, from the tall foliage are these little gray uh, uh, over a dozen um, little gray creatures with pointy ears that look straight up like they look like the goblins from like every fantasy ever except they're like metallic gray they're kind of cute looking they are kind <laughs> of cute looking in a very generic i mean their their hands look like sporks <laughs> um <laughs> just a strange little little creature um 
This, of course, scares the absolute crap out of these guys, so they shoot at them. Well, the bullets just bounce off of them like nothing. So they continue to, to fire at them, and they're just absolutely panicked. The, the eyes are glowing yellow, which, you know, that's scary too. And they did this for a, a period of hours. They, they shot at these creatures for hours. It's a good thing they didn't have, like, too close a neighbors because, good Lord, um, just it, it's just nuts. And this is actually kind of where the whole stereotype of little green men from Mars comes from, even though these guys were, like, metallic. Because uh, until then, aliens were, if you look at a lot of the films, they're, they're not nearly that imaginative. It's usually like the giant eyeball from Neptune or the 80-foot tarantula from Alpha Centauri. And this is sort of where, like, you start seeing anthropomorphized uh, aliens that are smaller than human beings. And that's become sort of the, the norm in a lot of respects. And mm. it's just, it's fascinating because, again, it's very documented. They they didn't, this wasn't like, we must tell no one. No, they went to the police the next day. They, they People nearby thought there was a, a war going on. Uh, <laughs> it, it led to a point where, like, four city police, five state troopers, three deputy sheriffs, and this is my favorite, four military police officers from Fort Campbell showed up near the end of the whole thing, and they were like, what's going on? And they didn't find anything except for the fact that, that their, their doors were absolutely littered with flipping bullet holes uh, <laughs> from, the, from the war between them and the little fellas. <clears throat> now, there's only one, well, two really, two real skeptical interpretations of this one Bad they're just shot. a bunch of loons what yeah exactly <laughs> exactly <laughs> a bunch of lunatics who made up a story because they're insane or on drugs or whatever yeah another possibility that people have claimed is that they saw eagle owls aka great horned owls which they're nocturnal so they're out about at night they're very quiet when they fly so that could explain you know how they would move from place to place, seemingly like they were teleporting around through the foliage. Hmm. Uh, they could be aggressive with their babies, and their eyes glow yellow. Now, all those things kind of, sort of, in a roundabout way make sense. Yeah, they're but cute. Here's, yeah, but here's what I don't get about that. They said that they saw 15 of these things. No great horned owl is going to have a family size like that, and they're not exactly known for like living in massive, massive groups. So it's just it's kind of difficult for me to buy into that. And um, they're certainly not going to be sticking around much less after one gunshot. Exactly. Exactly. And and not only that, also how bad are these people's aim? You would think, you know, I would be totally skeptical if if the story was the search yielded nothing except for like five dead owls. <laughs> I'd be like, okay, yeah. They they totally mixed up owls, but do you mean to tell me they didn't clip one owl? There was literally no blood outside. They didn't clip anything? Come on. That's that's hard for me to, to believe. Hmm. Um, and my absolute favorite thing about this whole story, in addition to the fact that it's inspired a lot of stories, including um, uh, Sableye from Pokemon Ruby and Sapphire, <laughs> it, has, uh, it has inspired a theater uh, a production called It Came from Kentucky in Chicago. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Oh, um, wow, so, that's yeah, that's, that's one of my favorite stories because one, it's in Kentucky and two, it's very, yeah. very funny and three, it's exceptionally 
documented. My favorite part of that is that only in Kentucky and maybe Texas will people have enough ammunition to fire for four hours. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. You know, I mean, that alone, yeah, that's, that's another thing that surprised me. Like, because you can go through, it's shocking. You know, you hear people say, well, what do you need 100 bullets for? It's like, that's like five minutes at the range. <laughs> so it's 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 just nuts, man. Um, I'm also going to get into Project Blue Book, but I want to talk about two real short little encounters first because I feel like I can probably sandwich them in, and they're just worth talking about. Uh, the first one is called, excuse me, is called The uh, Disappearance of Sonia. Okay? So, so po- poetically, James. Yeah, very poetic, James. Really? Okay. Um. So there was this woman named Sonia, and I don't know her last name. I've looked into it, and I can't find any more details than this, but presumably she was abducted, and she, you know, had missing periods of time and all that. You know, the the same old story, the thing that I usually attribute to sleep paralysis. Um, And she became absolutely paranoid that they would come back and take her away. She was so paranoid, in fact, that her husband, being incredibly accommodating, installed CCTV cameras in their bedroom. The camera actually captured her on film, vanishing, just teleporting from her bed and then flipping back into existence 13 minutes later. James. That's, yeah. (laughs) Uh, I I love how, like, I know that that means that you're going to have nightmares. (laughs) That's what that means. Yep. Um, and, and another, this is fun because it's a high-profile case. Now, several politicians have claimed to have associations with aliens and close encounters. In fact, if I recall, Jimmy Carter had a close encounter of the second kind, um, and which actually almost cost him the election, I think, because people were really skeptical, obviously. But this one's interesting because it's not a second-kind story. I'm, I don't know any other politician who has a third-kind encounter, except for Kirsten Lyumshinov, and I might be mispronouncing that. He is a Russian politician, and he claims that on the 17th of September, didn't say what year, he was abducted by aliens. Abducted. He was taken on board a, no joke, transparent spaceship. So I'm imagining like uh, the the Star Trek reboot movies. You know, everything's kind of clear, like an Apple store or whatever. And uh, (laughs) they're, they're wearing these yellow suits. He did not describe their physicality at all, but this is interesting because this is a common theme of third kind encounters and abductions. Originally, he couldn't understand what they were saying at all. He was trying to talk with them, and it didn't make any sense. But after a short time, he realized that they were telepathic. And after once he, he concluded that, boom, immediate rapport. They're talking back and forth. Overall, a positive encounter, and he claims that that's what happened. This is a a pretty high-profile fella who claims that he had quite the conversation with aliens. Huh. And when did that happen? Uh, that's the thing. I can't find out the year. It was September 17th, but I don't know when. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, sorry about that. <laughs> anyway, interesting stuff to say the least. But the big, the meat of the story after the, the Gremlins thing is uh, Project Blue Book. Project Blue Book is probably the holy grail in terms of documentation of UFO believers. And uh, that's because once you incorporate the government in on something, immediately all sorts of conspiracies are going to pop up. So Project Blue Book, in a nutshell, it is one of many studies of UFOs that the Air Force conducted. 
Um, but it's probably the most extensive. At least it's the most extensive that we know of. Bum, bum, bum. <laughs> and uh, it started early on, three years before the Kentucky incident, actually, in 1952. And there were actually previous studies, uh, Project Sign and Project Grudge, which scares me, just the fact that it's called Project Grudge. Ooh. I know very little about it, but that's spooky. After this, they, they decided they needed to have two goals in mind. One, to determine if UFOs were a threat, not if they were real, but if they were a threat. And hmm. two, to analyze all that data in order to compile, you know, potential solutions for that threat. That's really what, what it was about. I find it interesting to note that verifying the existence of UFOs is not a goal in mind. That to me, that suggests that they already had a decent conclusion. You know, case in point, uh, if we had a military drill to determine if China was a threat, it kind of means that we believe China exists, right? (laughs) Nobody's saying, I don't know about this whole China thing. Well, that's what they're doing with regard to UFOs in Project Blue Book. And all the reports were collected and filed and scrutinized very thoroughly. And what's interesting about that is that 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 all came to completion in 68. So they had about a 13-year period to look over this, uh, 13, 17, you know, in that ballpark, mm-hmm. uh, over a decade. In that period, you know, we don't think about how many UFO reports there were just in the early 20th century. They collected thousands of reports in that period of time. So that is just... It's just mind-boggling that that was that sheer number. Um, in fact, by the by the end of it, they had collected just just guess how many? Guess how many? Thousands. I'm gonna so, guess eleven thousand four hundred sixteen. All right, Alex. How many years is this? Uh, like seventeen years. Okay, I'm gonna guess eight thousand five hundred. And 21. All right. Well, without going over, I, I love playing this kind of price is right thing with you guys. <laughs> uh, without going over, Cece, you were astonishingly close. It was 12,618. Ooh, so, I would have yeah. won. <laughs> <laughs> um, now, some of these are verified fakes, which obviously makes sense given that there's 12,000 of them. Yeah. Uh, it'd be insane if they were all accurate. A lot of them were, you know, people would be driving and they'd see like the North Star and they'd freak out. Um, they see a cloud <laughs> shaped like a saucer and they freak out. As one does. Yeah, exactly. So there's a lot of woo-woo. Um, just in terms of the numbers, like even if 99% of them were complete nonsense, that still leaves a uh, thousand or so real issues or a couple hundred rather real sightings. So really freaky. It was sort of a continuation of Project Sign, but uh, like I said, that was pretty much over and i think a lot of that is because one of the chief goals of sign was to sort of understand the cause of sightings whereas it seems like when they started project blue book they they legitimately uh, concluded that these were real and most interestingly enough um one of their their issues was well are these soviet aircraft or are these some other country are these you know German aircraft? What is going on here? Because a lot of the the rocket makers for NASA were German, for example. But they ultimately concluded, for the most part, that these things were likely extraterrestrial in origin. And that alone is also, like I said, very interesting. It it just goes to show you that they'd come to to conclude that this was a very real thing. Uh, Case in point, Project Grudge 
had a mandate in it to debunk UFOs. Well, Project Grudge isn't around anymore. They phased it out and initiated Project Blue Book. That that just goes to show you that they couldn't disprove uh, what was happening, or at least not easily enough for the the welfare of a lot of these generals to sleep at night. And they they decided, you know, we need to look into this from a tactical standpoint to defend ourselves. Mm, so because they heard yeah. of the Domstead blobs. <laughs> Could be. <laughs> oh man. Um, one interesting example of, uh, or one interesting person rather, uh, as part of this was, uh, Ruppelt, Edward J. Ruppelt. I don't know why I introduced him like he's James Bond, but, uh, <laughs> he, he was the head of the project, the first head. It went through quite a few people by the end of, of it. Cause it was a long project, but, uh, he, uh, he was decorated, uh, for World War II. So he's really well known. He actually had an aeronautics degree during a time where like nobody had an aeronautics degree. And he actually, it's interesting that nobody flipping talks about this. This guy, uh, Ruppelt, he's the guy who came up with the term UFO. Huh. Before that, everybody was like flying saucers, flying discs, etc. And he was like, let's give it some, you know, official nomenclature. So when we, when we talk about UFOs, we're actually getting the terminology from, from him. So, yeah, huh. I, I think that's neat that there's a connection between the very word UFO, which sounds very bureaucratic, and Project Blue Book. Yeah. Um, yeah. So in 62, after a massive, massive explosion in sightings, uh, partly due to uh, radar detection, which just happened to coincide with visual sightings. So in other words, people, civilians would see something and uh, the Air Force or the Navy or in some cases, even the CIA um, would actually see on radar some peculiar anomaly that coincided with that sighting. So that, you know, now you've got measurable responses and sightings uh, hand in hand. You know, it's easy to dismiss one person saying they saw something, but then when you have at the same time uh, an actual measurable reaction from a well-engineered uh, machine, eh, no, now that's starting to get into less pseudoscience uh, uh, territory. So the CIA actually used a panel of scientists as under part of uh, Project Blue Book, which is interesting because, you know, it's not just the USAF, in other words. You know, you've got some kind of joint um, uh, bureau uh, research going on. So mm -hmm. they hold this panel with physicists, meteorologists, astronomers, uh, engineers, and uh, they, they met in uh, 53 originally to formulate a response about public interest in ufos now what's interesting about that is that suggests that it's less about defense against aliens and more about how to deal with say the panic and the fallout yeah. of of that sort of thing and one of the ways that they did this this is why i'm so skeptical of the whole it's a weather balloon thing is this is what they concluded that we should use low grade unverifiable ufo reports to illustrate that it's all quackery and also to use the air force to de-emphasize the subject. And in other words, to laugh it off and be like, Oh, that's, you know, anytime a reporter asks, have you ever seen anything strange? Oh, sure. I have my wife's meatloaf lady. Next question. You know, <laughs> that sort of thing. And this is the freakiest though. They actually suggested using Walt Disney productions to ridicule the phenomena using, you know, animation and things like that. Like, oh, let's make a movie showing how silly it is to believe in little green men and all that. 
Uh, I mean, so this this illustrates two things to me. This is why I thought this was an important thing to cover, and this is why so many people who are interested in UFOs are very interested in Project Blue Book. One, it shows that the military has a vested interest in UFOs as a very real phenomena from which we may need defending. And two, it shows that when they do dismiss and debunk and criticize and ridicule things, that it may just be part of the regularly scheduled programming on their end, that it's something that they're actually supposed to do as part of their job. And of course, the last thing I will touch up on regarding uh, Project Blue Book is Majestic 12. Have you guys ever heard of the Majestic 12? No, no. but it already I already feel like it's going to freak me out. Uh, you know, surprisingly, it's not. It's, it's one of the most mysterious things out there uh, in terms of because nobody literally knows what it means. OK, here's here's what happened. Um, whenever there, there was there was all these code names used by a lot of officials um, regarding uh, executive orders. So Harry Truman, he made an executive order to facilitate recovery and investigation of alien spacecraft. This was most notably used in uh, Roswell. And uh, what's interesting about this is referenced on the document is just the term Majestic 12. So who, who are these people? Are they even people? Uh, you know, it was, it's a strange code word for someone or some group of people. And it's just such a creepy thing. It's, it's so commonly referenced. There's a Blink-182 song that ends with the term 12 Majestic Lies. I, I remember listening to that all the time back in the day. And I remember when the South Park game, the first one came out, if you typed in uh, Majestic for a password, you could go straight to the UFO level, <laughs> uh, if I remember right. Maybe you got a ray gun. I can't remember. But bottom line is it's very referenced in pop culture. So National Archives actually attempted to get a copy uh, of information about Majestic 12, and I'm going to read their reference report. <laughs> okay. This is what it says. The National Archive, because, again, these guys have everything like in a database. You know, it's just crazy. They probably have, like, you all's Amazon shopping list somewhere. But anyway, uh, okay, this is what it says. The National Archives has received many requests for documentation and information about Project uh, MJ-12, or Majestic 12. Many of the inquiries concern a memorandum from Robert Cutler to General Nathan Twining dated July 14, 1954. This particular document poses problems for the following reasons. One, the document was located in Record Group 341, Entry 267. The series is followed by top secret register number. This document does not bear such a number. Two, this document is filed in folder T4, 1846. There are no other documents in folder regarding NSC MJ-12. <laughs> I mean, this is creeping me out, you know? Uh, three, researchers on the staff of National Archives have searched in the records of the Secretary of Defense, the Joint Chiefs of Staff Headquarters of the U.S. Air Force, and in related files. No further information has been found on this subject. Uh, you see where I'm going with this. There's 10 more points, but I'm going to get to the last one because it's, I think, the most interesting. The bottom line is is every single time they look for something, there's nothing. There's no mention of it. The meeting minutes uh, even? No, nothing, nothing. Mm. Uh, but this is the last thing. The li Eisenhower Library states, in a letter to the Military Reference Branch dated July 16th, 1987. President Eisenhower's appointment books contain no entry for a special meeting on July 16, 1954, which might have included a briefing on MJ-12. Even when the president had off-the-record meetings, the appointment books contain entries indicating the time and meeting and the participants. 
the declassification office of the national securities inform us there is no record of, or any declassification action having been taken on this memorandum so in other words they have taken a lot of care to avoid any documentation about this and it's led to people's imaginations to run wild. Well, who are these majestic 12? Is it 12 noble families that rule the world? Is it like, you know, like the Illuminati or whatever, the Rothschilds and the Rockefellers and all that? Is it is it 12 special agents who deal with aliens? Is it 12 aliens who deal with interstellar government? And, you know, uh, our president is just the liaison for the United States or maybe even Earth as a whole. There's just all these theories about it. And... All I can really say about it is it must be something amazing and possibly nefarious because they have taken greater pains to hide this than it seems anything else I've ever seen with the government. Hmm. So, yeah, uh, Project Blue Book is a fascinating thing that I think lends a lot of credence to ufology uh, and all the theories that they have regarding uh, knowledge of uh, uh, UFOs. But ultimately, uh, it's all up for debate. Wow. Like even even with all this stuff that's been well documented, you know, it's you can still say, well, it's just great horned owls and swamp gas. <laughs> <laughs> I hope it's great horned owls. It's not though. <laughs> no, it's not. no, no. Oh. I don't. I think that they saw little aliens, yeah. especially like James <laughs> when you saw your alien ship when you were in Kentucky, mm-hmm. like. That's what it reminds me of. I just imagine them uh, yeah. waiting for the Domino's pizza guy to come <laughs> and looking out their window, and they're the little cute little gremlins. Mm-hmm. But James didn't see any gremlins, you guys. If you want to hear more about James's own alien encounter, listen to our first Alien Encounters episode. Yeah. Okay. All right. I guess it's my turn. Yep. Okay, you guys. My Alien Encounter Stories Night, I am going to be telling perhaps one of the most famous alien encounters of all time. Kind of set the standard for what alien encounters, specifically um, alien abductions, entail. It's one of the most famous first-hand alien abduction accounts. It is that of Betty and Barney Hill. Never heard of them. James, I know you probably already know the story. A little bit. But I would like to hear, I'd like to learn more for sure. Yeah, Alex, I think that you actually do know about this. You just don't realize it. I just don't know the names. Yeah. It's possible. And I mean, we've all seen it in movies and television shows. When people Mm. report being abducted by aliens, they're usually pulled into a spaceship Mm -hmm. unwillingly, almost like in a daze. They're experimented upon. They're probed. They lose time. Stuff like that. Hmm. Yeah. And that's that's my story. Done. Okay, wow. Well, that does that does sound familiar. <laughs> okay, no, you guys. The year is 1961. Everyone on Earth is just minding their own business, drooling over the <laughs> handsome new president, JFK. Ooh, swoon. Marveling <laughs> over the world's first disposable diaper. Pampers. Really? Pampers were released in 1961. Oh, well. Thank you, Pampers. I've learned something new. They were spending 27 cents a gallon on gas. I wish. Oh. That's yeah, so I wonderful. know. I know. So, you guys, it was basically just 1961 stuff. So, let's set up this alien abduction, shall we? It's a cool September evening in the rolling country hills of White Mountains, New Hampshire. <laughs> Madly in love, Barney and Betty are driving home from a super delayed honeymoon. They've been married for like 16 months prior, but. 
they are very busy people. They're both very intelligent. They both have very grueling jobs. I think that Betty was like a social worker and Mm -hmm. Barney worked at the post office. So they didn't really get time to go out. So finally they're like, you know what? Let's go on a trip. And so they leave. They're coming home. Their trip is over. It's just a short little three-day trip. They're driving back home to Portsmouth, New Hampshire, when their trip gets interrupted by something from out of this world, you guys. That something being aliens. Yeah. So they're driving home late at night when they notice this odd light in the sky. They say at first it looked like a falling star, but it just kept getting bigger and brighter as they continued to drive. And Barney kind of wrote it off as a satellite, but spoiler, you guys, it was a spaceship. Ooh, I didn't see that coming. Yeah. Flat as a pancake, <laughs> as Barney would later recall. But the light just seemed to be getting odder and odder as they I'm moved picturing Betty it. and Barney rubble for some reason because it makes <laughs> Betty and Barney. So the whole thing I'm mentally imagining is them. Oh. Well, they're actually um, a, a biracial couple. Yeah. Well, thanks yeah. for ruining it. Now I can't picture Betty and Barney Rebel. <laughs> <laughs> well, they they did one thing, you guys, that I would never do. Oh, no. They got out of the car. Yeah. They pulled into a rest stop, got out little binoculars and started to look at this thing, and suspicions confirmed. Oh, I would maybe have done that one. It was a spaceship. Mm-hmm. So, and I, I got this information from multiple sites, mostly uh, history.com and all that's interesting, but... Basically, what I think happened, they get back in the car and they start to drive a little bit more because Barney didn't want to freak out his wife. But at some point, the ship just started getting closer and closer to him and lower and lower. And at one point, it's like 100 feet above him. So Barney's like, they stop the car again. Barney's like, where's my gun? And he grabs a gun. He's got (laughs) underneath his seat. Yeah. And he runs in a dark field, leaving his poor wife alone in the car. Alex, if you ever did that to me. Maybe he was trying to divert its attention. Maybe he was like, oh, it's coming for me. I'm going to run into the woods for her. No, he was like, let's go see what this is. That's the worst nightmare ever being I was going to say, were they still together after this? They were. They were a very Mm. strong couple. But this is is when he... And when he gets out with the little the little gun, he runs up. This is when he notices it's flat as a pancake. And there are apparently windows on this pancake, you guys. And he can see these beings in gray uniforms looking at him. And he tries to grab his gun. But, you guys, he can't. Here's like He says he hears a little voice in his head. It's like, Whoa. don't put down your binoculars. That's what it's said on history.com. Hmm. I, I, yeah. I believe. But, yeah, he realizes he... He, this is at this point, he realizes you guys were about to be taken. So he hauls butt back to the car and starts to drive off again. They're trying to get the heck out of Dodge when apparently they recall hearing like this rhythmic, I guess, humming sound. Yeah, you know, we've all heard it. Yeah, we've all heard it. So then they get sleepy and then they pass out, you guys. (sighs) Flash forward two hours and 35 miles up the road, y'all. Oh. Yeah. According to history.com, it's what it says. What happened? They couldn't remember, you guys. They're like, what just happened? They look at each other and they're like, honey, I don't remember being here. I'm pregnant. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> well, there is a pregnancy test involved. You just wait. Uh-oh. So for the weeks and months after this encounter, I think I think that Betty just immediately, she like knew aliens. But they're like trying to remember what happened because they can't really remember anything that happened. But Betty starts going to the library and she starts reading up on aliens and she reports the sighting to the Air Force for Project Blue Book. 
And both Barney and Betty then began to suffer from like severe anxiety and bad dreams. Hmm. So they seek the help of a hypnotist. Oh. Yeah, a hypnotist named Benjamin Simon. <clears throat> he would help them recall this terrifying abduction. Oh. oh. So this is what they ended up remembering through the power of hypnosis. And you guys, we've done an episode on hypnosis. If you haven't listened to it already, go back and listen to it. It might give you a little bit more insight into what, what's about to happen for old Barney and Betty. So they remember some gray aliens with big slanted black eyes. Take them, they walk up a long ramp into the ship. They didn't want to go. They remember they did not want to go with them. But I mean, are you really going to take the chance and find an alien if an alien's like, hey, come on, come on, bro? I'm not. Go- I would assume going on the ship, I would be dead. So why not get make a shot at running? Yeah, they, they did not run. They apparently, the aliens from a video that I watched, it was a video by Discovery UK on YouTube. They, the aliens told them to keep their eyes closed and they didn't <laughs> want to open their eyes. <sighs> so, anyways, once they're on the ship, they're both examined separately by the aliens in an examination room with like a little metal table and like a big light. So, kind of what you see in most alien abduction mm-hmm. stories these days. So, the aliens undress this poor couple. And apparently, like, they ripped Betty's dress. And when Betty was, like, driving home, her dress was ripped. Huh. They had a picture of the dress in the little video that I watched. Did it look like an alien had ripped it or a human? It, well, <laughs> in, the, the, in the story, it said that the aliens didn't know how to unzip a zipper. That makes so sense. So, they just ripped the dress. Maybe they didn't. I guess. If they, okay. And maybe I'm, they evolved past the zipper. Well, maybe. <laughs> They don't. Their clothes just automatically come off. They're all they they're all dude aliens. They don't know how to unzip a dress. <laughs> well, the aliens undress this poor couple. They took some hair, nail, and skin samples. They were probed, which is Alex's favorite thing about abduction <laughs> stories. Yeah. Sounds like a good honeymoon to me. Oh my god! <laughs> slap him. Apparently, Betty underwent a very painful pregnancy test where they basically just stuck a giant needle into her belly button. That's not fun. No, not fun at all. How did she know it was a pregnancy cool. test? That's what it said in the history.com. <laughs> she must have assumed. Article. Yeah, that's a really What else would specific... they want from my belly button? Man, right? What the heck? Well, this is the thing that got me with that is like, I feel like if you're an alien and you've got the technology to get yourself from light, you know, light years away from your home, hmm. wouldn't you have an easier pregnancy test yeah. than stabbing well, a woman? I always think about that in terms needle? of all their tools. Because it's like, you know, it's always like, you know, they had scalpels and it's like, you'd think they'd have something they'd never seen before. You know, especially it's the yeah. 50s. What, what, he waved something over me that he said was an iPad and then he winked at me? <laughs> like something, <laughs> you know? Interesting. Maybe that's how they... Do pregnancy tests on their planet. Oh, mm-hmm. that's terrible. Stab you in the belly. And you go, ooh, I'm pregnant. And they go, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, they, I feel like if you, never mind. The, the aliens also apparently marveled over Bernie's dentures because they'd never seen teeth that come out before. How young apparently. was Bernie? What? How young was Bernie? Barney. His Barney. name's Barney. <laughs> Barney. <laughs> oh, he man. was. Yeah, now I'm picturing know, Bernie Sanders hanging out with aliens and they took his dentures out. That's what I, I think, uh, <laughs> I'm just I'm like, man, this was an old man to have dentures. Mm. Well, he had dentures. Um, and there was there was apparently a leader alien who apparently oversaw everything while mm-hmm. they were being examined. And Betty spoke to him. And apparently they joked around. Betty made it seem as though he was actually kind of nice, I guess. Mm. And he showed Betty a star map that indicated where the aliens were from. 
interesting. Which I'm going to talk a little bit about a, a little later. Uh, so, pretty good story, right? Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, the Hills ended up publishing a book about their encounter in 1966 with co-author John G. Fuller. It's called The Interrupted Journey. Ooh. That's a pretty good title. It is a pretty good title, right? But if you want, James, you can buy a used copy on Amazon for as little as six fifty. Not too shabby. $6? $6.50. Okay, I want to make sure. I thought maybe you were being sarcastic because it was like $650 or something insane like that. Okay, cool. No, no. It's actually very reasonable. Uh, But their niece, Kathleen Martin, she also wrote a book about this titled Captured the Betty and Barney Hill Experience. Cashed in on them. Well, and their their story also inspired a movie. It's a TV movie starring James Earl Jones as Barney. Hmm called The UFO Incident, which you can watch on YouTube if you want. I watched like the first 10 minutes. But anyways, most importantly, the firsthand alien abduction account inspired what's kind of become like the standard for alien encounter stories these days. Yeah. Flying saucers, gray aliens, experiments, missing time, all those things. And while their story kind of set the norm, I think that it is important to note that this was not the first reported alien story ever. No. Um, yeah, sociologists, I mean, obviously, James just talked about how there were 12,000 accounts. Well, and my, and remember, in our previous alien episode, our boys in uh, Venezuela who decided to wrestle. <laughs> yeah, that was like in 1957, yeah. so that was even before yeah. this. Well, a sociologist, or yeah, a sociologist named Christopher Bader told History.com that uh, there were alien, most of the alien encounter stories before Betty and Barney Hill were friendly like except for i guess you're except for, well to be fair they did try to kidnap one of them <laughs> yeah so. yeah and then they got the little laser pointer in the eyes yeah. like a little kitty cat <laughs> man those two stories were so good yeah they were good stories but we will you guys we are going to have an episode on friendly alien encounters in the oh, future are we? yeah That's yeah exciting. i just came up with that right now hmm. but my question is did betty and barney actually get abducted because you guys know how I feel when people profit from having something happen to them. They write a book. Mm-hmm. For me, it personally casts a little shadow of doubt over the entire story when you're making money off of it. Yeah. But after watching a video that included actual... Did it star James Earl Jones? <laughs> <laughs> no, it was the, the Discovery UK story and it had actual audio clips from their hypnosis sessions. And after listening to that... it. I do sincerely believe that they sincerely believe that they were abducted. Interesting. Yeah. Hmm. But for me, one of the first things that I stop at every time I hear a story like this is that always makes me go, wait, what? Hmm. They got out of the car. Who does this? If I had an alien spaceship flying behind my car, you better believe I'd be driving 120 miles an hour on the interstate. To try and get away from that thing. If you drove 120 miles an hour, we wouldn't make it five feet. <laughs> <laughs> and James, you're an odd duck, so I don't want to hear you say, oh, I'd get out of the car. Because <laughs> we already know that you'd get out of the car, James. Yeah. You don't even have to throw in your comments. I, well, see, I understand them getting out and looking with binoculars. I would right? have. Okay, this is... Wasn't it just like chilling over there for, when they did it that? Was, it, was, it was following them. They could oh, tell it was following so, them. Oh, well, I've been a gun at it. Oh, yeah. Hey. No, I... I I can understand, like, me pulling out the binoculars while you're driving and me looking through the back of the car. I feel like you'd look like the kid in Jurassic Park. With your little- <laughs> I would look like the kid in Jurassic Park. <laughs> so, anyways. Another another big issue for me is that they were hypnotized. 
And my first thought there was, were there any leading questions? Because I think that when they went into this, they Betty already kind of thought that they were they had an alien experience. Right. So if the hypnotist already knows this and he's trying to get this information out of them, were there any leading questions that could, you know, when this person's in this day's state, start recalling things that might not have actually happened? Hmm. But their hypnotist, Dr. Simon, he actually said that he didn't believe their story. He didn't believe that they were actually abducted by aliens, but he did believe that they truly believed it. So kind of like me. He thinks that Betty's eagerness to believe in UFOs coupled with vivid dreams that she was having likely caused her to recall false memories. And he he said that he thinks that Barney kind of absorbed her ideas. Mm. Um, but the weird thing is that both of them were cross-examined uh, separately and both of their stories were very similar, like almost identical. Mm. So that's another odd thing about this. But uh, in, in our previous alien encounter episode we kind of discuss factors that might cause somebody to believe that they've been abducted by aliens and one of them is sleep paralysis which james i know that you kind of mentioned when you were talking a minute ago sleep paralysis and hallucinations could be a factor and also having a vivid imagination and apparently i read somewhere that betty like a month prior her sister or one of her family members reported seeing an alien spaceship but i don't think they got abducted or anything Mm -hmm. So she probably had aliens on the mind. Mm. Interesting. Yeah. And psychologists could have also said their story may have been induced by stress. Because as I mentioned, Betty and Barney were an interracial couple. So some people think that the stress and tension of the times, you know, it's 1960. That sounds an awful lot like swamp gas to me. Yeah, I don't I don't really buy into this. But again, the couple was cross-examined by scientific advisors with the National Investigations Committee on Aerial Phenomena. Whew. And their story was found to be credible. So that's pretty big. But Project Blue Book later dismissed the story, claiming their experience could be explained by, quote, natural causes, a.k.a. Jupiter. They said they saw Jupiter. Oh, yeah. Jupiter's often... Mistaken for a flying metal pancake. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, it made me think back to what you were just saying, James, that U.S. government's trying to downplay all of these things to make people think they're crazy. Yeah, yeah they're, they're, my guess is all the ones they dismissed were the real ones. Agreed. All the ones they didn't. Are the fakes. Yeah. yeah. Totally agree with that. Yeah. So all that's interesting.com lists that also lists that just weeks before their encounter, an episode of the TV show Outer Limits with aliens very similar to the way that they described the aliens that they encountered was on TV. Hmm. So they might have seen that. Also, I'd like to point out one other very big thing that happened in 1961. Do you guys remember what happened in 1961? We've discussed it previously. Dang, mm, I can't remember. Yuri Gagarin uh, became the first person in space, space yeah. uh. in April 12th, 1961. So space was at the forefront of a lot of people's minds mm. at this time. So... Uh, I mean, that could. Yeah. But it also makes sense that that's why alien activity increased. You know, you're cruising through, there's that backwater planet you normally pass by, and hey, what's that floating in their stratosphere? Oh my God, are they sending people <laughs> in space now? We gotta, we gotta spend Let's some Let's go yeah. check. Yeah. Well, the, la- the one thing I wanna leave everybody with is that there's a woman named Marjorie Fish. And remember, I said that the alien that Betty met gave her a star map that showed where they were located. Mm -hmm. 
Well, she apparently like drew, I guess she drew this little star map from memory. Hmm. And Marjorie Fish made a 3D model of the star map that Betty Hill was shown. And a lot of it lined up with the Zeta Reticuli Ah. space. Yeah. Really? Yeah, star cluster, I guess. I don't know the technical term for it. I'm not well, spacey. I think that is the technical term for it. <laughs> the, the, a, a star space? Oh, a uh, star system. I, I didn't know what you meant. Okay, I thought you meant star Zeta Reticuli. System. I was like, no, that's what's called. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah, Zeta Reticuli yeah. is 37 light years away from Earth. But that's the thing. Like, if, if these aliens can, if they are from Zeta Reticuli, and they can fly from there to here, 37 light years mm. away, why couldn't they check to see if she's pregnant without stabbing her in her belly yeah. button? They still understand our physiology. And how could they not figure out a zipper? Hey, if they're that, that smart, one makes perfect sense. If you talk to a, a Zoomer, <laughs> Gen Z, they don't know how zippers work either. It's like I know how to do CAD immediately on a, any computer system, but I don't know how to, <laughs> how to flip and button my shirt. <laughs> <laughs> So you guys, that is the story of Betty and Barney Hill. I Ooh. I don't I don't know if I believe that they were abducted by aliens, but I do believe that they hmm. believe they were abducted by interesting. aliens. Interesting. The star chart's interesting. It's like if the if it was done without them being able to plan something ahead of time, yeah. it would might even sell me on it. But if this was a meeting she knew she was going to, then she could study up something. I don't know. Another thing that I think is very interesting is the fact that both of their stories are like identical. Yeah. And listening, honestly, listening to the hypnosis talk in that video, it was very disturbing because they like they were freaking out about it. So it was kind of like, oh, like it kind of gave me chills just listening huh. to them. So they're good actors if they're faking it. If they're faking it. I don't think that they're faking it. I think that they honestly believe that they were abducted. Interesting. So anyways... I'm done. Alex, it's your turn. Talk yeah. to talk to me about aliens. I think mine are a lot less plausible than both of your all's. <laughs> my favorite, well, my favorite one's Domstead Blobs. There's not going to be any aliens better than Domstead Blobs. The Domstead Blobs is in our first Alien Encounters episode. Yeah. Go listen to it if you haven't already. But I guess my first story is going to be about the Vegetable Man. The Vegetable Man. <laughs> Alex was very, he found this a while ago, I didn't found you? The, I found this by the, uh, when I was looking up Domstead Blobs. because. Where I found Domstead Blobs was in the same article, and now I had to go elsewhere for more research on Domstead. But Vegetable Man, anyway. Vegetable Man. Let's get back to broccoli. <laughs> Let's get carrots. back. So, this is in Virginia, July 1968. A man by the name of Jennings Frederick. He was out boat hunting in the backwoods. And so he's out, and he hears this high pitched. What he described as like a like a recorder recording running at exaggerated speed. So you know when you fast forward through a tape or something like that, like a you know that electronic sound of like tape whirring. You know, like when yeah. you're uh, yeah. cassette so tape. Yep, 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 yep. So that's that's yeah. what he claims he hears that sound. That's a good. That's, that's mm-hmm. pretty good, James. Mm-hmm. I was gonna try it. And I was like, no. <laughs> Uh, and so he thinks he hears that sound. And so he starts looking around and, you know, this bizarre sound uh, keeps humming along. And then he looks and he sees the seven foot tall kind of humanoid thing. Mm-hmm. And it's like really thin with a skeletal frame, really long ears and arms that look like stalks. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> he says they the, the arms almost look like tendrils. 
and they're like really long and slender. And slender. And he says that it had like these seven inch long fingers. See, that's a, yeah. James already said slender man, which terrifies yeah. me. That's what it sounds like to me. And on his hands, he had these thorns. Thorns? Thorns. So vegetable man has some thorns <laughs> on his hands. Okay. He's very plant-like. Cool. If his name is Vegetable Man, I think I'm so. I'm calling him Vegetable Man. <laughs> what's, what's his actual name? Does he, he, doesn't, he doesn't have a formal name. Okay, so it's just... Okay. Yeah, this is Vegetable Man. <laughs> 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 okay, and so he said it also looked like at the tips of his fingers there were suction cups. And he was very green, and he looked like, like I said, plants. And he just looked like a part of nature. But, you know, he's seven feet tall, and he's walking towards them, so... He kind of stands out a little bit more than the bushes he was around. And he says it, it was like he's part part vegetable, part animal. And the whole time he's watching and that sound keeps coming. And it just keeps coming and it starts rever He can start hearing the sound all around him. And it's he said suddenly it was like he could understand what was coming through the noise. Like they're almost like words were kind of dripping through mm. the sound that he was somehow able to understand it. And he, what he thought he understood it to say was, you need not fear me. I wish to communicate. I come as a friend. We know of you all. I come in peace. I wish medical assistance. I need your help. What was wrong with Vegetable Man? Well, Vegetable Man. Well, can you guess what happened next? Um, he swiped at the guy with his little thorns. His little thorns. His little thorn He's got hands. aphids. He needs help with his aphids. <laughs> well, either this alien is a liar. Or Jennings understands aliens about as much as I understand Swahili. Because the next thing the creature does is rush up on him and grab him with his hands and pick him up. And he, he rushes him like with incredible uh, speed and picks him up. Uh, man, some and man stuff. he says that he can feel the, the thorns start to dig into him and make I'd, him bleed. I was right. I was right. Yeah. yeah. And start to dig into him. And then he says he's looking at the creature and its eyes start flickering between red and yellow. Like it's hypnotizing him. And it just keeps going back and forth. And he says, slowly he kind of forgets about the pain. He, his senses start to dull. And he's kind of Because like, he's slowly dying. <laughs> he's fainting. He says, he, he says it, it, it goes on for about two minutes. Oh, and oh. then suddenly the plant monster lets go of him and starts sprinting up this like hillside. And he says like each each stride, I guess, is almost... Probably sounds like an exaggeration to me, but it was about 25 feet long. So he's got... This thing's fast. It's really fast. And the reason this is an alien story is because as soon as it gets out of his line of sight, he hears this deep thrumming noise. Vroom, that, vroom, yeah. Vroom. That Frederick believes is the creature's spaceship. What if what if the creature did need help and he had to like suck energy out of Frederick? Well, maybe he did. Maybe that that's was, what he meant. Yeah. And then maybe Frederick did understand him. Yeah, maybe Frederick actually <laughs> did get it. Maybe. That is terrible, Alex. I wasn't. I didn't actually expect to be like worried or nervous during that story because it's Vegetable Man. I didn't expect, but that to name is either. very misleading. Yeah. Well, there's a there's a drawing of it. But it's kind of cute. So, hmm. I'm I'm picturing salad <laughs> fingers. Yeah. Salad fingers. Yeah. Stop it. <laughs> Stop it. Going to fries. Do uh, you want me to? <laughs> I'm gonna slap you. <sighs> All right. And another story is so in Italy. Uh, in December 6, 1978, uh, this guy named Pierre Zanfretta, he was a security guard. He was doing his rounds, and he sees these four bright lights. Mm-hmm. 
in the distance. And so he's walking around, and you'll see why I picked this story in just a second. Oh, and he went to investigate, and he's got his pistol drawn, ready for action, right? Yeah. And so he sees the source of the lights. He gets closer and closer, and it's coming from this reptilian being. Ooh. Ten, it's 10 feet tall. That's but big. It's its skin is green, but it's also kind of saggy. It's an old alien? <laughs> <laughs> I think it's just the biology of it, not the oh, age of it. Oh, okay. The saggy looking skin. And he says it's, the, the head has spikes, but the spikes are protruding off the back. So, so like, it sounds like Predator. No, Predator doesn't have spikes. I he has spike, dreadlocks. I thought he, okay. He's got dreads. Funny you said Predator. Anyway. Mm. And so, in place of its mouth, it had like a breathing apparatus. Which makes this story a little more credible to me. Because I'm like, of course, they've got to have a breathing apparatus if they come here, probably. You know? And so, he sees them. And as soon as he sees them, they shoot out this heat beam, is what he calls it. Sounds like a laser pointer again. But he, he says that as soon as they see him, they shoot out this heat beam. And so Zanfredo starts running in terror. So he's not doing a good job of security. He didn't even fire back. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> and so, and eventually he started, when he, he's running in terror and he passes out. And someone else finds him passed out on the ground. And, you know, it sounds like maybe Zanfredo had a few too many drinks, passed out on the job, made up an excuse. Yeah, a little too right? much Merlot, my bro. <laughs> well, when the area was checked where he was talking about, they found a series of large footprints imprinted on the ground and scorched branch trees where he was located. From the heat ray. Mm-hmm. From the heat ray. That some people kind of little credence to his story. And that happened in <clears throat> 1968? 1978. 1978. In Italy. Do yep. they have any pictures? No, no pictures. They have drawings of maybe what it looked like. But Zanfretta will go on to see these things a couple more times. And this is where he kind of loses me. You know, anytime you run into somebody more than one. And I feel like, once, I I feel like maybe if the alien, like, oh, crap, he saw me. We're just going to study him now. You know what I maybe, mean? Maybe, maybe. And, and so the next time they see, they, they see him several times. And eventually they bring him onto into sh- their ship. And they experiment on, on him a little bit. You know, <laughs> they do what friends do. And... They also introduce themselves as being from this planet called Tetonia, T-E-E-T-O-N-I. And during their last visit, during uh, 1980, the aliens brought him onto their mothership that's made out of like a crystal-like substance. Mm-hmm. And they show them all these other species of aliens that they've captured. Uh, so it's like Predator, it's like Predator, like, Yeah, it is kind of like Predator. And so they've got them, they've got all of them in these tubes, and like there's like a reptile, uh, or no, they're not a reptile. They're the reptile. They've got these frogs in these chambers. They've they're not frogs, they're like more like alien frogs. They're you alien know what I'm frogs. Saying? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, bird-like creatures, and even some sort of troglodyte that looks somewhat like a caveman. He says that's literally what a troglodyte caveman. means. Yeah, yeah. But that's <laughs> okay. So so. Were they like trying to take him to tr- put him in one of these tubes? No, no, no. They're, I guess they're like at this point they're just having fun with each other, right? I mean, they've come to see him a couple times. They did a little experiment. This is insane. This time they came to show him around the ship, and then he never saw him again. 
And they're like, hey, man, listen, yeah. listen, let's go on our ship and just look at some stuff. And he's like, okay. Did he go willingly? I mean, it kind of sounds like, you know, like, yo, bro, I saw you shot at me with a heat beam. You missed. <laughs> let's be friends. <laughs> 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 but, yeah, I don't, I don't know. Like, the first story, I'm like, okay. And then after that, I'm like, okay. No. Yeah, this is... Like it, it doesn't wild. make a whole lot of sense to me, but it's interesting that his first story story has some credence to it. But it's funny that you mentioned it. I wasn't going to talk about this, James, but it's funny that you mentioned Predator because initially my whole thing was going to be a Predator because <laughs> <laughs> people have run into Predator a whole what? lot. Like like the le- the legit Predator from the movie? Well, no one's actually seen the actual being; they just seen the the invisible version. Uh, so they, they just see okay. the outline of a humanoid figure. Okay, invisible. well, I can see. But there was one lady. The best story was this one lady who was, she was five years old, and she's down by this river, and she's just kind of digging around. Apparently, she used to do it all the time. And she turns and looks, and she sees, like, a it, it it's the middle of fall, but it looks like a heat wave, is oh, how she yeah. described it. Oh, like, you know, when it gets hot, you yeah. can kind of see? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and she sees it, and she, you know, she glances, and she looks again, it's still there, as she slowly makes out the shape that this thing is, and she runs away, and she doesn't see it again for another 25 years, and it's 25 years later, she's got kids, she's recently divorced, and she's sitting out back on her porch, having a, having a cig, <coughs> and she looks up at the top of the trees, and she kind of sees a little, like, almost like a shimmer. And she looks away, and she's like, wait a minute. And she looks back, and she sees something holding on to the, the trunk of the tree while standing on a branch looking at her. Mm-hmm. And she just sees the shape of the shape of the human, humanoid form. And she runs inside, turns off all the lights, locks everything possible. And she looks out the window. She doesn't see it. And then she sees a dog run over and start barking right where, where she saw the creature at barking up mm-hmm. at the tree. And the owner of the dog calls the dog and it kind of reluctantly goes and keeps like looking back at the thing. But she's just, she says she just sits there. She doesn't see the being again, but she just saw the dog's reaction. And that was where her two encounters with the predator. Hmm. There's a bunch of them. There's some pretty good ones, but that, that one was the most, interesting one so what you're telling me is that we're gonna have a predator episode in the future you could probably make a predator episode but a lot of them feel like i try to get one that was before the movie came out and what's interesting about that is it wouldn't even necessarily have to be an alien like if if a creature actually evolved to completely deceive our vision they could just live on earth they could have evolved right alongside of us and we would just never know well, some of the theories are that it is a invisible <laughs> Bigfoot. Ooh. <laughs> invisible oh, Bigfoot, another dimensional being. So this could be an alien. This could <laughs> be a Bigfoot or Bigfeet. Neato. All right. Yeah. Well, so those, I, are, those are some good yeah. stories, Alex. Yeah. Good <laughs> predator. Yeah. Uh, your your stories scared me more than I thought that they would. Me too, because uh, the vegetable man I thought was humorous, but you didn't I see know, the picture I, of him. I just, so. I, the, the whole thorn, thorny fingers thing scares me. So I hate thorns. Ow. <laughs> <laughs> you just said, I barely touched her arm. <laughs> <laughs> I was being a little dramatic, oh, I think. Um, 
do you guys have anything else you want to add to our alien encounters for this episode? I think the vegetable man yeah. is real. <laughs> do you? No. Oh. Okay. <laughs> and I guess that we're going to pick our episode for next week. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Where's the thing? There it is. <sighs> All right. Pick one out there, Alex. Is this thing starting to hold your jewelry? Yes. Gwen's hair clip? Yes. Okay. Listen, if Gwen gets a hold of something that she shouldn't have, I put it in there. She immediately leaves it alone. You excited all, for this one? All right, you guys. Next week, we are going to be talking about missing Malaysia flight. Mm. Yeah. Interesting theories. We're going to talk about airplanes going missing. Okay. Well, well, yeah. And I have a, I mean, I have a personal, not a personal experience with Malaysia flight, but I know where I was when it went missing. Interesting. Oh, yeah. You used to work on the Yeah, I used to be a news producer. Um... Okay, so next week we're talking about the Missing Malaysia flight. And Alex, do you want to do our music? Yeah, our music is Signal by Grant Cook. You can find his music on Spotify, Amazon Music, YouTube Music, iTunes, anywhere you listen to music. All right, guys. Uh, If that's it, then until next time. (laughs) I keep, listen, I keep mixing up my end for the show with Happy Regardless. Uh, Until next time, you guys. Keep Keep it it strange.